0: Over the last few weeks, we've been working our way through the book of Judges in the Old Testament. A book that is fascinating for some of the stories it tells and the insight it gives into how God uses people who often are not all sorted out by any means, but God does use them. And he takes really desperate situations and does remarkable things through them. When we began the series, one of the things I, I talked about was when we, whenever we read scripture, what, one of the things that we're doing is we're, kind of, we're looking into scripture and we're doing two things. We're, we're discerning, perhaps really importantly and most importantly, we try to work out what sort of God have we got? That's the bottom line question that we're, we're kind of faced with week by week, day by day. What sort of God do we worship? One of the things about growing as a disciple of Jesus is answering that question, actually. What sort of God do we have? And that's one of the reasons why we read Scripture, to try and discern what's God up to. And then secondly, we read Scripture because we kind of come to it almost like a mirror to find ourselves there and to see our own situations and hopefully to be able to see our own situations through new eyes, to be able to see a new way of looking. Today, what I want to do is look at the story of Gideon. Now, in terms of chapters, you don't get the most chapters in Judges, but actually in terms of verses, so the whole story, we've got more about Gideon than anybody. Samson gets a good chunk later, but Gideon, actually, we've got more about Gideon than anywhere else. And um, I kind of want to do the whole story of Gideon, which is chapters 6, 7, and 8. But rather than read the whole of those three chapters, which would take quite a lot of the time that we have to try and dip into what's going on in Gideon's story. The theme of it all is the relationship between strength and weakness. That's the theme of the whole of Gideon's life, I think, as I've been reading and reflecting on it. I think it's that. And I think it works out like this. I think in the sixth chapter of Gideon, you've got something about the surprise of strength and then in 7, you've got the possibilities of weakness. And then the, finally, in chapter 8, which takes us to the end of his life, we've got the dangers of strength. So it's, it's this sort of relationship between perceived strength and perceived weakness all the way through this narrative of uh, Gideon. So let us me quickly oh, give you an overview of what the story is. It starts in chapter 6. And um, it starts in the way that all of these stories about the Judges starts. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and they ruined the cro- crops all the way to Gaza. And they didn't spare a living thing for Israel. Neither sheep, nor cattle, nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them or their camels. The, uh, they invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. Now, we've been reading through the book of Judges and it kind of always begins like this. It's like sin. And the consequence of that is that they get defeated by the surrounding nations. But never so far has it been this bad. It's kind of like every time the crops come up, the Midianites come year after year. And it's kind of like this, this you know, you, you plant, you hope, you, you're looking for your harvest. And every harvest you're lost. In fact, in the end, the people, the Israelites want to go and live in the caves because they're so oppressed. They have nothing. And God comes to one young guy called Gideon. And in verse 12 of this chapter, this is what it says. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about? when they said, didn't the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. And Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I'm the least in my family. And the Lord answered, I will be with you And you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. An interesting interchange between Gideon and the angel of the Lord, God. God comes and goes, The Lord's with you, mighty warrior. And Gideon goes, Listen, if you were with us, we wouldn't be in this mess. And then he says, What some of us have said over the years Oh, God, why does it always seem It was so much better in the past. We've heard what you did in the past, God. Why aren't you doing it now? God, if you're with us, how come things are like they are? Every generation asks, and every generation are told, it's your turn. (laughs) Every generation says, God, why are you not doing what we hoped you would? And every generation is told, it's your turn you do it every generation looks back and go god you seem to be working really a lot there and every generation is told it's your turn you do it i'm with you it's not enough to look around and go god if you were really with us then it'd be all different he goes no it's you it's you it's kind of like i mean it's obvious but it's like that sort of thing When they've all gone out, I will stop. Um, It's it's, it's obvious, but it is that thing. Me and you, we're the generation at this moment who pray and hope and love and can see something different. You can't look anywhere else. It's us. And if it's not us, who's it going to be? If it's not you, who's it going to be? If it's not me... Who's it going to be? And God comes and says, I am with you. And so what did he do? Well, that same night, the Lord said to him, take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old. Tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Now, two things there that are sort of kind of like technical. The altar to Baal is the altar to the alternative gods. And the Asherah pole probably was something very similar to that. Um, Probably literally just something um, that was built up, and people would sort of see that as a sign of fertility, a sign of prosperity, a sign of hope. And actually, if every year the Midianites are coming and wrecking your your crops, you're gonna you're gonna try anything, aren't you? And and that's what the people of God had done. They'd stop trusting Yahweh because Yahweh ain't getting them out of this mess, and they'd put up a pole, probably something like that. That certainly is an image of a. Uh, an effigy from around the same sort of time. And God says to Gideon, go down and cut it down. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on top of this height. Using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down, offer the second bull as a burnt offering. So Gideon took 10 of his servants and did as the Lord told him. But because he was afraid of his family and the townspeople, he did it at night rather than in the daytime. You might think that's a wise thing to do. If you're going to do something like that, if you're going to go in and you're going to say, we're going to chop down stuff in our village that everybody's been trusting on, because actually I think it's time to trust in God, then he does it at night. Gideon is not, is not this massively brave uh, soldier for God. He's not this massively brave man of God. But he's the man that God says, and the first thing God says to him is, take a stand at home. Do something at home amongst your own people. And it's going to be, that's going to be, you have to be brave enough there. But before you do anything else, anywhere else, do it at home. Make a stand, take a stand and do it there. And then we move from that chapter. So God's called him. Gideon's argued. He's taken a stand. And you get to the seventh chapter, which is, if you know anything about the the story of Gideon, is a story that you probably know the best. Early in the morning, Jeed that is Gideon. he was called that, because he it means he cut down Baal, and it became like a nickname. And all his men camped at the spring of Harad. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Moreh. The Lord said to Gideon, "You have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands, or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. Now announce to the army: Anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead." So 22,000 men left while 10,000 remain. So the maths of this story go on like this. that He starts with 32,000 men in his army, and God says, you've got too many. So ask any of them, are you frightened? And 22,000 said, yeah, I'm frightened, I'll go home. Which leaves 10,000. And God says to Gideon, 10,000 is too many. So let's do a little experiment. And he takes them all down to the riverside. And he's got all these men. And he watches how they drink from the stream. And the ones who use their hands, he goes, yeah, we'll use them. And the ones that just put the head right down. And I don't know how this stream would have been. But the ones that just get them really close down and don't use their hands. Doesn't really matter why. They can go home. So 9,700 men don't use their hands. So they all go home. And so Gideon is left with 300. That's the story. Remember the Midianites? They come down every year. They take over. They, you're so frightened that you're living in caves. 300 men. And God says, I think that should just be about enough. We had 32,000. We went down to 300. And then, and this is a, quite an accurate photograph uh, of them at the time what have they got? What are they going to use? The story is you'll use a trumpet and use a torch and actually what there's not showing in that little picture is some clay jars. And when it's time to, uh, to attack, smash your jar, blow your trumpet, and you'll find that the enemy flees. <laughs> this is ridiculous no matter how many of you have had children who've been learning musical instruments and you know the racket they make, but it is a ridiculous story and it's supposed to be. And it's supposed to be one where you go, really? This is the Midianites you're fighting. You've got 300 and all they have is a trumpet, a jar and a torch. And in the chapter, it tells a story about how they cause chaos by their sound, and the Midianites think a massive army is overtaking them, so they scarper. And so, the story goes, God used Gideon and 300 men to overcome the immense army of the Midianites. It almost seems impossible. It was in their weakness that God used them. And then you've got the final chapter, chapter 8. Now, this is a chapter that you probably, I don't know, you may not have read much before. And uh, there's a couple of things going on there. One of is that Gideon's true nature begins to come out, and it's seen in the way that he deals with people who he feels have snubbed him in the past. He goes and he kind of turns on the people that have snubbed him. But then later when he's finally got rid of the kings of Midian so that Israel are free, in verse 22 of chapter 8, this is what happens. The Israelites said to Gideon, Rule over us, you, your son, and your grandson, because you've saved us from the hand of Midian. But Gideon told them, I will not rule over you, nor will my son rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. So what are they saying to him? Well, they're saying, "Will you become a king. Because up till now, what the people have had to do is every time they've been in real desperate need, they've cried out to God and God has provided somebody for them. But this time they're going, can we get a better system than that? Would you become king? And Gideon says, no, I'm not going to do that. But in verse 24, he says, I do have one request, that each of you give me an earring from your share of the plunder." It was the custom of the Ishmaelites to wear gold earrings. And they answered, we'll be glad to give them. So they spread out a garment, and each of them threw a ring from his plunder onto it. The weight of the gold rings he asked for came to 1,700 shekels, not counting the ornaments, the pendants and the purple garments worn by the kings of Midian or the chains that were on their camel's necks. Gideon made the gold into an ephod, which he placed in Ophrah, his town, all Israel prostituted themselves by worshipping it there. And it became a snare to Gideon and his family. So they come and they say, will you, will you be our king? And he goes, no, the Lord's going to lead you. But then he acts like a king. He says, but let's take your gold. Can you give us your gold? And um, later on, the other thing he's going to do, he's going to have 70 sons of his own because he has many wives. He has a harem. So in other words, he begins to act like a king. He said, I don't want to be a king, but he acts like a king. And they make this gold into an ephod. And that's a picture of what an ephod was. It was like a a thing that the priests would wear, like a breastplate over their sort of main clothing as they did their worship. What's he doing? Well, what Gideon's doing... He's trying to get religion under his own control and he's trying to get it home and he's trying to get it close and he's trying to control what's going to happen next. And all of this is about control. The people are looking at Gideon and going, well, you rule for us so we don't have to trust God. And Gideon's going, well, let's get this ephod so we can actually discern what God wants and we can do it here and I can do it under my own eye. I can do it from a position of control. And you kind of look, and what you see is the dangers of strength. So when you read the story, how are you supposed to read it? Here we are. We're watching on. We're watching the story, and like the kids, I wonder what you see. Some of you, what you see is, and what you recognize, is that when God wants to do something Remarkable. He chooses really weak people. People who sit, and uh, in Gideon's story, he's threshing the wheat in a, in, a, in a wine press. It's kind of like, why are you doing it there? I'm frightened. And you're the people that God comes to and says, I want to use you. The people who all their lives have been told, you, you can't do this, you can't do that, you're no good at that, you're no good at that. And, and God comes and goes, that's the sort of people... I want to use. It's your turn to step up. And it might be that for some of you, that's what you see. That's the mirror that you need to see. You kind of see yourself in Gideon, but Gideon in the first chapter, Gideon the man who's so, so frightened. Or maybe you look and you see in the story, Gideon in the, second cha- in the seventh chapter, when God seems to do incredible things, remarkable things with such a small number of people. And you wonder whether, is this your moment? Some of you know that earlier in the year, I went to Australia uh, to do some work over there for a couple of weeks. And I went to a place, a town called Toowoomba, um, which is a great name for any town in it, Toowoomba. Um, And uh, I got friends who now become friends um, in the Baptist church there. And they took a lead in Toowoomba to say, we want our city to be porn-free what they meant by that was we want none of our shops to sell porn. We don't want porn shops. We, don't, we want our, our town, as much as we can, to be porn-free. And this week, um, they had major meetings with the mayor and the council and the police and the social workers in public places going, this would make a major difference in our town. And it began by a, a group of Baptist ministers getting together and going, We've seen what it does to our men. And we can't stop the internet. You can't do that. That's ridiculous. You can't stop that. But what we can say is, as a town, we want us to take a stand for something different. And it was four Baptist ministers who began in a prayer meeting and said, actually, we can see something different in our town. And this week, they had a meetings with literally thousands of people who were saying, we want that for our town. And it's that sort of thing that you think, wow, God can take really small things and do something really big. If it's, if it's, if it's you that goes, this is my generation, I can do something. I met a woman on uh, last Friday in London. And she's a young, young woman and she's just started out in about three years in PR. And she talked about the struggle that she's working in, a, in a, an industry where she's trying to, to do it with truth and integrity. In PR when it's mostly spin and not integrity and in a very different way you look at someone and goes it's my generation I'm going to take a stand in my company through the thing I'm doing the way I do business I'm going to take a stand and maybe you look at Gideon's story and you want to ask is God actually raising something in your own heart that goes what if it would be different around here What if we don't have to put up with the stuff that we've always put up with? What if we could actually change stuff around here? And all around the city and all around the north of England, there are people who begin with the dreams that things could be different around here. You don't have to just accept it as it is. And some of you look at the Gideon story and go, Gideon, the Lord overthrew the might of Midian to such an extent that they lived in caves because they knew that Midianites would come and they couldn't, they weren't strong enough. And 300 were enough. 300. It just takes a few people to go, actually, we'll, we'll take a stand here. And maybe that's the mirror you see. Or maybe you see yourself in the mirror and you see the picture of what's going on in the story and you hear... Gideon in the 8th chapter, in his final piece. And you become aware that your greatest strength becomes your greatest weakness. That's what happened with Gideon. His greatest strength was his greatest weakness. The fact that God used him, the fact that he wasn't this all-conquering hero type, made people trust him, made people want to lead them. His greatest strength was his greatest weakness. And isn't that the truth? There's some of you that are really good. Some of us are really good at helping people. And our greatest strength becomes our weakness when it turns into feeding our need to be needed. Some of us are really good at listening to other people. And our greatest strength is being able to sit down and really give attention to people. And our weakness is that we find it very difficult to say, I don't know. Because people think we're wise. Some of us are really good at guiding other people and helping people make good choices. But our weaknesses we can't help but interfere because we think we always know right. Some of us are self-confident and we see big picture of stuff. And our weaknesses, we can't tolerate ambiguity. Some of you are really detailed and we're great at detail. But when people don't do the detail the way we think detail should become, we become harsh with people. Some of us are really determined. But when people don't get it, then we lose patience with people. Our greatest strength becomes our greatest weakness. I wonder what you see in the mirror. And uh, I suspect it's kind of like a mix of all three for many of us. But for some of us, it'll be one of those things that really comes home sharply. The weakness. God, can you use me? God, this thing that stirs in my heart, the thing I get angry about when I look out of the window, God, can we do something around here about that? And can you use someone like me? Someone who's weak. Someone who hasn't got it all together. Someone who others might not think of the obvious choice. Can you use me, God? Because I look around me and I get angry at what I see. Or is it, God, I know myself. I know what I'm like. I know that you do use me. But I also know that sometimes that other side of me comes out. And my greatest strength becomes my weakness. Jesus is the one who gets us out of the bind. Jesus is the one who comes along. And says, will you follow me? Because I want to use you. Jesus is the one who sees disciples and he goes, I want you to follow me because we're going that direction. It's Jesus who says to uh, uh, fishermen and to tax collectors and to carpenters and and stonemasons. I want you to be on my side. Enough now of going your own way. Come my way. It's Jesus who... Says to disciples like us, when you pray, will you pray your kingdom come? When you, will you pray? Your will will be done. Because actually things can change around here. It's Jesus who gets us out of this situation of going, it doesn't have to be always like it is. It's Jesus who comes and says, actually, you don't need to keep on going to the hills. And just retreating. And hoping you're going to be okay. Actually, there's a moment where you say, enough's enough and I don't know what that would mean for some of you but I know some of the things that we suffer as a city I know something about the poverty we suffer as a city I know there's something about the racism that happens and that some of you have been on the receiving end of I know something about the desperation of uh, migrants who come into our city and they don't know where to turn next I know something of the hopelessness of families that just get stuck in debt. I know something of that. And it's kind of like, well, what's God saying? What do you look out the window and what do you see? And it's Jesus that gets me out of the bind of my strength becoming my greatest weakness. Because it's as I offer it all to Him, He allows me to know myself better. He doesn't stop it always. But when I mess it up and when, I, and when I get to a situation where I want to interfere too much, I want to speak too much, I want everybody to do what I say, I get harsh with people who don't say it, whatever it might be for you, because I think unless you're really unusual, you're probably there as well somewhere. And we offer our lives to him and he goes, I want to use you. I want to use you. I wonder whether the greatest temptation for many of us is that actually our lives become smaller and we protect ourselves. And to use the last sort of image of this story, the Midianites keep attacking, but we decide we'll just do up our cave. If we just decorate our cave a bit, at least then when we have to keep going back to it, it'll be a bit more comfortable. And God wants to use people like Gideon, and people like you, and people like me. But it will mess with your life. It's a lot easier to do your cave up than it is to say, okay, God, the thing that you've birthed in me, I want to live for. I'm going to pray and then I'm just going to give us five minutes just to, just to process. And the process is simply what you're thinking. And some of you will want to speak and some of you won't. But what are you thinking? What's going through your head? But let's pray first. Father God, we read the story of Gideon and we see both the God who chooses the weak and the lowly and the things that aren't in order to shame the strong and in order to demonstrate the remarkable strength of the power of Jesus. We see that God and we also see ourselves. And some of us know how it feels to have been spending a lifetime saying, I don't think God could ever use someone like me. And yet regretting that and saying, God, if only you'd do something new. And we need to hear again this morning that you're the one who says to us, it's your turn. You need to step up. And Lord, forgive us for the times when we do the equivalent of just uh, redecorating the cave. Lord, we pray that you'd give us the, the means to act on the things that we see. Give us the courage to act on the things we see. And Lord, for those of us who we're aware that you use us in so many different ways, in so many different contexts, Lord, guard us from our strength becoming our weakness. Help us not, help our story not to end up as disappointing as Gideon's. Father God, would you take our lives and use them for your glory? Would you take our lives and make them mean something? Would you take our lives? and make them be used for you, we pray.